Right, welcome everybody here. I'm super excited to chat with Claudio, founder and CEO of Inner Trends. We are going to be talking about activation and metrics and no, I love numbers. I'm not sure if people, oh yeah, I'm not sure if you know this, I, I studied math in university, so this is going to be a, a treat. How are things with you? Great, thank you. And thank you, Ramli, for having me at Product-Led Broadcast because basically talking about data and this podcast, yeah, it's how, how geekier can things get? <laughs> For sure. I mean, let's jump right in and talk about that. I mean, with, with my book launch on product-led onboarding, one thing I get asked all the time is around activation and user activation. I'm curious how you, what is user activation? Because uh, it's, it's often the one in the pirate metrics, the acquisition, activation, retention, revenue, referral, where there's a ton of misconception around and you have this really great description of it and how it fits in the, in the journey. Yes. And yeah, it's great that you mentioned the pirate metrics because everybody knows them. But when they try to go and say, like, what are those pirate metrics for us? Most companies that we worked with kind of struggled to say, like, what's exactly activation for us? What's exactly retention? How do we define referral and so on? So, yeah, let's focus a little bit on, uh, on activation here because, indeed, we have a framework which we have a lot of experience with and we saw it working. We define activation as the process that people take, users take from the moment of signing up to the moment of experiencing the promise of your product for the first time. So that promise is defined by your business, not by data. A lot of people that come to us say, we expect data to tell us when somebody's activated. And I say, no, you decide when somebody's activated or not, because you know what your promise is, you know what your product is, what the intention of the product is to help users. At the North Star metric, you will find it into the data the so-called wow moment that gets people hooked into your product, you'll find that into the data. But when people meet the experience, the promise of your product for the first time, that's what you define. And that's indeed crucial for everyone. And it's not even complicated. It's typically you take all the people in your company, put them at the same table and what's our promise? And you'll see how quickly you get that promise defined. Mm. I really love how you put that as a promise, right? Like that's really what it's all about. And reaching the activation is getting to the promise line, right? Is that how you see this? Like activation is when uh, users have reached their, the promise line, essentially. Exactly. And the thing is like marketing is what we do to make promises. Mm. We go and we make promises out there with advertising, with through social media, for everything we do, we make promises. And some people love our promises. Uh, it's like uh, sweet little lies. Yeah? Like, they, oh, I really love that. I want to see it. And they come to our website and they get more promises on the website. Like we, they get details on how that promise is going to make our lives better and so on. And say, yeah, I want to try this. So the moment when somebody clicks, I want to try this, they have a promise very clear in their mind as the milestone that they want to reach. Your onboarding process is exactly that. Mm. The path that people need to take to get to that promise. And the steps of your onboarding process are the technical requirements that are needed for them to get there. So if when you think it like that, it's so easy to define an onboarding funnel 
that no one needs to struggle or like you don't need to have fight inside a company that oh you should put that step in the onboarding process or no we should finish the onboarding process there that's why we love this framework it gets the team together so beautifully and do you know we have this thing that when we validate if our promise is correct Mm. we look at what is the retention of the people Mm. that never reached the onboarding process In other words, that never experienced the promise of your product. And almost every single time, it's zero from the first week. When it's not, yes, you might have questions. Hey, are people actually coming to our product for other reasons than Mm. what we thought of? But that's very rare. For most of the companies we work with, it goes to zero quickly. That's how we know, yeah. That's why our promise is so important. Right. and. It sounds like this promise is is very related to the positioning of your product. If you if you mention you're a CRM, there's a associated promise to what that is or an email tool. So like this is also would you say this is a question of positioning and messaging exercise as much as anything else? Yes, when you change your positioning uh, or the messaging, you actually change the promise Mm. that you make and you might change even the onboarding process. Wow. Uh, You don't change the onboarding process by doing product guides or email sequences. No, that's how you change. You change the promise. At at least that's how we see it when we, we look at the data. And you're spot on what people don't, on the promises, on the positioning, what we typically tend to do is to make it sound amazing or make it sound really Mm. empowering. Uh, So nobody will say, I'm a CRM. We'll say like, we are the best CRM for SaaS businesses. And that's the promise we are making. Like, but basically what you are telling SaaS businesses is they will use you as a CRM. So the onboarding finishes when they manage a contact in that CRM for the first time. If they're, 10 businesses competing in the same space, all of them will have the same end of the onboarding process. And that's how people will actually judge them. They will go to experience that promise in every single product and they say, here's where we experienced it the best. That's probably what we will stick with. Mm. I love that. That's a really good point around that. A question I get all the time is, okay, so I know the promise for my product. How do I measure that? Like, do you have Obviously, any trans is, is one tool, but like maybe can you talk a little bit more about like thinking about a measurement plan so that you you can say, hey, check mark, this user is successfully onboarded yeah. based on this and this and this. That's a very good question, and that's something that even at Inotrans we approach it with a tool agnostic strategy, if you want. So the tracking plan that Inotrans makes for our customers can be used with any tool out there, mix panel, amplitude, any product analytics tool out there. You'll probably want to use Inotrends because we are very much customized for those definitions because that's one thing that Inotrends has. It knows your business. It understands what's your onboarding process, what's your retention, so it can actually dive into your data from that perspective. But going back to that, it's tool agnostic, and the process I recommend is start from the business. Uh, We actually Mm -hmm. have... On our website, there is a wizard we call the Actionable Metrics Wizard. So you take that wizard and you're going to answer questions like, what is the core functionality of your product? So like a CRM, it is like managing contacts. Your promise 
will always be linked to the core functionality of your product. Yeah, like you cannot promise us a CRM that you'll offer revenue reports. That's not your promise. Your promise will always be uh, regarding the core functionality of your product. So you start with the core functionality of your product. And from the core functionality of your product, you go towards technical requirements to get there for the first time. And that's how you define the onboarding. And then you go towards doing that core functionality on repeat. That's how you increase engagement or how you define retention or how you are doing that a second time or a third time. It's how you define a North Star metric maybe. So it always gets down to the core functionality of your product. And that core functionality of your product will always be linked to a very specific event that happens inside your product. So the tracking plan starts from that. What's my mm-hmm. core functionality of a product? What's the event that I need to track to know when mm-hmm. somebody successfully used that core functionality? And from there, everything flows easily. I really, really love how you're working yourself backwards because often it's just people <laughs> go forward and <laughs> slap yes. on product tours and, and other things really well. Like you're actually really thinking about like what does success look like first? What is the promise land? And then what is the best path to that promise land and figuring out like are the milestone being reached by each user? I actually published a post recently on the product-led growth Slack channel about this, which was a company used the product guide through the onboarding process, just like you say. Like they looked at everything that needs to be mapped out and they mapped out everything. And then we looked at the data From the perspective of getting to that promise and the technical requirements of getting there, I think 70% of the product guide was having no influence at all. Wow. Because most of the times what people do with product guides is fix problems that don't exist. Mm. But 30% of that product guide was indeed touching something that led to an increase, a significant increase in the onboarding rate. However, like they worked so hard in doing all of that when they could only have done a very small portion of it and get the exactly same result and probably make it easier for the people. Like I don't need to get a product guide to tell me what I need to do when I know what I need to do. I just need a product guide when I need help for real. So that's something that you can easily start to discover once you map it this way. If you put it from the product guide perspective, just like you said, I'm going to implement a product guide because I know I need it. I'm going to track it because it's important to have data on it. And you'll start looking at the data and what you'll see is there is going to be a conversion rate and you say, yes, my product guide is working. But you need to compare that conversion rate with what would have happened if the product guide wasn't there. Mm. That's how you decide if the product guide is actually making an impact or not. But you have that mentality only when you start from the end goal, when you mm. take it backward, not when you do it from, oh, I'm implementing, I need to track it and I need to monitor it. Yeah, right. it doesn't work like that. And I'm curious as well, I mean, for that example, how many people they annoyed and they just left just because <laughs> this guy is useless. Like it probably not just, it didn't make a difference, but it actually might have scared people. It does happen. And I actually report you, uh, I think it was into best practices in the best practices channel. It was just a week or two weeks ago. People can find it there. But I actually report that there were a couple of interactions with a negative impact Interesting. on the onboarding. So because people did them, they were more likely to abandon the process. Wow. 
And we get that all the time. We actually do that for email. That was something that was really amazing when we first did it. So we have this algorithm at Inotrans where we look at all the emails you send during the onboarding process. We don't care if you send them with the purpose of onboarding. You send them when people are doing the onboarding process. So you might influence them. And we look at all the people that opened those emails and how many of them converted, finished the onboarding process. So got to that promise. And then all the people that didn't open them, and how many of those get to the promise? If there is no difference, it means your email made no difference. Basically, if people open your email or don't open your email, it's the same conversion rate. But often we see a bigger conversion rate for people that don't open the emails. And every time we see that and we actually analyze the emails, what we discover is that there are sales emails. People are pushing sales emails when people to users that haven't experienced the promise of the product yet. Why would they buy when they don't know what it looks like? And yes, they are annoying. And yes, they will leave. That's so good. I love how you have that data even to show that uh, it could be a negative impact. I think that's exactly what happens when people don't work their way backwards. I want to take a step back. And we've been talking about activation onboarding and using them interchangeably. The question I have for you, and this this is uh, interesting, I want to know your point of view around this, is the relationship between activation and user activation and user onboarding. Are they the same thing? Are they not? And how are they related to each, each other? That's a great debate. <laughs> I think it depends a lot on how people uh, look at them. Definitely there is a relation between them. That's why we use the term onboarding very much, much more than the term of activation. Activation for me is probably beyond onboarding. So I got to the promise of the product. What happens after this promise uh, is experienced that gets me convinced to start using the product for the long term? Getting to that promise doesn't mean I'm going to use the product. Getting to that promise just means I know what your product is doing and I can tell it, I can describe it to a friend without, based on my experience. So I can tell her, yeah, I did it and it's really cool how you do it or it's really annoying. But you would tell it from experience, not from marketing materials. That's what gets, that's the definition on getting to that promise. However, after getting to that, you need to, interact more with the product to get to the point where you say, yes, I'm going to use this product for the long term. For mm. some people, it can happen before they finish the onboarding process. Like they, let's say you use a product like for email marketing and you love the way you design the email campaigns. And you say, yeah, you are going to be onboarded when you send that first email campaign and you'll see it reach your users. But you got hooked to the product the moment you experienced the editor and said, yeah, I'm going to use this product. Mm. So in that case, you'd consider yourself activated before the onboarding process is finished. With other products, I might finish the onboarding. So like I'm using a CRM, I just managed my first contact, but I might get activated when I close the first deal. Mm. And uh, it might not even be related to the product in in any way. It might be, oh, I got a deal. I want more deals. I have the CRM. I'm going to use it. So it's not not even linked to that. But Mm. there is always a relation between onboarding and activation, if we take it from this perspective. So focus on onboarding, 
because that's very clear and that's very straightforward and there are not right. different variables and right. you will affect activation. Interesting. I love that take. I actually have the opposite take. I, I, I saw onboarding as something that leads to retention. It's just an opinion. Like, just get people to the promised land, man. Just like, and <laughs> yes. that, if people can take <laughs> yes. away anything, who cares what it's called? Like, your user success is what matters here. I can call it like blah, blah land or blah, blah process, as long as you're getting people to that, that promised land, essentially, right? Exactly. And it's why I don't really like to use terms like aha moment or wow moments, because it, it happens yeah. exactly the same with activation and onboarding. People look at them different, but getting to the promised land, like you said, like you cannot get that wrong. <laughs> it's linked to your positioning. I always say the promise, it's the header on your homepage. That's mm. where you find a promise. Right. That's where it, it starts. I love that. This is such an interesting point of view. I'm curious. I mean, I'm sure you're, you're start already starting to build around this next question around common mistakes that teams make when it comes to activation. It could be because their promise sucks. <laughs> it could be because they're targeting the wrong, they're bringing them to the non, the faux or the fake promise land. Like, I'm curious for you, if you can like summarize, like what are some mistakes you're seeing teams make? You, I'm sure you have a ton of data in, in AirTrends. What are mistakes companies or teams make when it comes to, I don't know what to call it anymore, getting people to the promise time, whether that's <laughs> yes. application or onboarding. <laughs> yes. There is one mistake, especially I would like to talk about because it's so easy to make and it can cause so much harm. Like you would set up that funnel towards your promise. Uh, we call it onboarding activity, it doesn't matter, towards that promise, yeah? And you'll put the technical requirements to getting there. And you suddenly see that, hey, at my first step of my onboarding process, I get a huge drop-off. Well, what's happening there? Well, people need to add keywords or upload subscribers or do something. Let's do it for them. Let's put some content and not get them to do it themselves. So they just need to click next. I think that's the worst thing you can do because you actually take away from the experience of the user. The purpose of the onboarding process is to let the people experience. Mm. You want them to get to achievement by doing things themselves. Mm. If you are going to do it for them and the onboarding process is just next, 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 mm. you yeah. won't have them onboarded. Right. So I remember having this, uh, there was a, this uh, search engine optimization tool where they saw that people didn't know what keywords to put into the tool to monitor. And that's when they came with the decision, hey, let's put the keywords for them. Nothing changed in the onboarding process. Like the drop-off rate of that type simply moved to the next type because people still didn't know what keywords to choose. Yeah, you put it in front of them, but are they good keywords? Are they bad keywords? Why should I use this and not others? You need to educate them. Like a totally different approach. Less friction often in onboarding is doesn't mean better onboarding rates. Okay. The right friction is what you need to get to. People expect friction. They want, they signed up, they expect things to happen. Not next, 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 not. <laughs> so good. I was just talking to Eric Keating, VP of Marketing at AppQs, and he, he just said that, that even I've seen it, like people think time to value, like the time it takes for a user to experience that promise line or that value. 
People think, oh, I just need to bring it down as short as possible to seven seconds. But you're, you're, what I'm hearing here is, hey, clicking next, 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 you can get it down to three seconds them to see that value. But did they learn anything new? Did they learn how to use your tool? Did they actually get to a promised land? If you threw them in the middle of the desert, can they get back to the promised land on their own without your help as a guide? And most of the time, if it's too short, the answer is no. Is that what I'm hearing, right? And I, I have data to back that up. We did a study on yes. five different companies where we looked at the onboarding times of all the people. They were very, very different. There is actually an article uh, written about this. Uh, I was trying to challenge Lincoln Murphy back then, who came up with this thing, get the time to activation as small as possible, like things as quickly as possible. And we analyzed this data, and we only looked at the people that took longer, spent more time in the onboarding process than the average. And their retention was much higher than the people that onboarded in a shorter amount of time, much larger, like 20%, 30% larger. So if people spent a week to finish the onboarding process, they were more likely to be long-term users than people that spent just a couple of hours to finish the onboarding process. That blew our mind. We did not expect to see these five different companies, wow. very different niches, B2B and B2C, same conclusion. So sometimes let people go through their own rhythm. The right friction is what you need to go, not less friction. Man, you're giving me shivers. I love, <laughs> I love that this is back way day. I got to go get that, that resource and share it to the folks who are tuning in right now. But I get this all the time as well. And you sound like you have the process around like, What is a good time to value for a product? And you, you talked about like, finding the average of your best users is that a good like i know it depends on product but like let's say you have yes. the data how would you help a company figure out okay this is the good uh, time to value for your users and anything less than that might not be the best and anything more than that the users might have gotten uh, you might have lost them already at that point yeah that is a difficult question to address uh, here's how we do it at innertrends we actually have a question inside innertrends which is how long does it take to onboard new users and it's an algorithm behind it that basically the time to onboard, it's very funny, uh, looks like a long tail. You'll have some people that will finish the onboarding process in a short amount of time. And then you'll have people that will go for very, very long time. So whenever we calculate the average, for example, we automatically remove the tail because if we do an average including that tail, we would get an average that doesn't describe more than one or two users. So we remove the tail, and then we calculate a median on the remaining users. And what we also see, it's often the Pareto law, like 20%, 30% of the users will be in the long tail, 70%, 80% will be in the common behavior, if you want. What we see is situations when 60% of the users are in the long tail. That's something that worries me. Like if most users are in the long tail, I would say there is a problem. So what I would expect is to have like ideally 80% of the users in the common behavior and 20% in the long tail. I'd say that's good. And you take that common behavior, look at their average, and that's why what you see as having a good time to finish the onboarding process. 
I love it. Thank you for sharing that. Now I have an answer whenever somebody asks me. <laughs> Instead of it depends, you actually share. Yes. share a short long tail. That's the answer. So look, you'll always have a long tail. If you have a very big long tail, you have a problem. Interesting. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I want to start wrapping up and just ask a few more questions. First is, if you can give, you know, I know we've talked about the promised land and getting people there, but if you can summarize, like just if everybody else forgot, like they just fast forward to the end and you can just give one or two tips for people who are looking to improve their onboarding or activation experience, what would be that one or two tips that you'd like to share to folks? Yes, define that promise. Get your team around the table and make sure everyone is aligned on that promise. And it's always an easy event that you probably already have tracked. If you don't already have tracked or you have a tracked client side, I know I'm getting technicals here, make sure you track it with 100% accuracy. You don't want the onboarding process to be a click on a button. The promise is not a click on a button. The promise is something that happens for the user and you want that tracked with 100% accuracy. The second question is go and find out what are the technical requirements and ask this question hard. Whenever I, we ask people, what are your onboarding process? They de describe six steps, seven steps, eight steps. When we ask what are the technical requirements, well, they need to create a campaign and add keywords, and that's it. Okay, so it's just two steps. That's your onboarding process. It's not the guide. It's not the email sequence. It's what are the technical requirements that people need to get there. And after you have that, look at the step where you are losing most users and only focus on that. Don't fix something that's not broken. Only fix areas that give you problems. That's where you do product guides, that's where you push emails, that's where you do product changes. We have an algorithm in Innotrends that looks at what are the actions people do between two onboarding steps, and we automatically categorize them into actions that are specific to people that are successful and actions that are specific to people that drop off. It's always, but always, three or four actions that make the difference. That's what you need to focus on. So good. You're so much full of tips and advice here. Just one final question. Where can people find out more about Intertrends? And I want to put a plug here for Intertrends because it's such a cool tool for improving onboarding. And yeah, like what are some things that people can use just to improve their onboarding experiences? Well, we've kept Innotrends quite stealth until now and hidden, but last week we actually opened Innotrends for everyone. So anyone can now go to innotrends.com, explore the product, create an account, play with it. So yes, now it's available for everyone. Until now, it was more into a private beta. Also, we are trying to be more active on the product that grows uh, Slack channel, but you can also follow me on uh, Twitter where I talk a lot about data and I share also a lot of studies that we do. So yeah. Awesome. Well, Claudio, thank you so much for your time. I really, really do appreciate it. Thank you, Ramli. It's <laughs> great pleasure to geek around with this. Uh, and yes, uh, love, love what you guys do and love your audience. So yeah.